Um, see you all. Um, yeah, so I'm Mike and married to uh, Aidy. We married January now, 26 years. Uh, have three children. They're all big. Our oldest is 23, 20, 16. Um, but they're all bigger. Yeah, they're all basically almost taller than me. Um, but what I want to do this evening is I'd love just to look at a portion of Scripture with you. Actually, funny enough, it's very much in light of what has been a uh, thread that has gone through even with the worship that's come through with those words. And I want to share from Psalm 121. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I know that sometimes the danger of coming into a new year um, and of preparing for a new year, for me personally, is I often feel very intimidated by the new year. I find like I've got to find faith for the year. I often feel quite overwhelmed, actually, because of, it might be just responsibility, but it's like, oh, God, like, how, you know, uh, the year hasn't even started, and it feels like I've got to climb a bit of a mountain. Um, but others of you might feel like raring to go. You've had a good holiday, you're full of energy, you're making plans, um, you know, you're dreaming ahead, and that, that can be good as well. But I think the danger for us as Christians is that we sometimes focus so inwardly as we come to the beginning of the year that we don't have an opportunity to look again at, at who God is. And there's a proverb, and it speaks about how people perish for a lack of vision, it says. But it's not speaking about a personal vision for your life, like what is your vision for your life? And the reason you might perish is because you don't have personal vision. That's not what the proverb is saying. It's speaking about having a revelation of God. And we need to start the year not with looking inward at, like, at ourselves, but actually looking outward at Him and how powerful and how able and sufficient the Lord is that we serve. And, uh, and Psalm 121 helps us to see an aspect of God that is just beautiful to behold. Um, these are things that have been ministering to me, and so I really trust that uh, you'd get encouraged this evening as we uh, look at some scripture together. We are Christians, so we have the Bible, um, and so we're going to dig into the Bible. That's what we do, amen? So what I want to do is, um, uh, and I don't want to assume that we all know this, because I know for some, for many years growing up, although I went to church, I never knew the Bible. In many ways, I didn't have a relationship with God or the Bible and I remember after becoming a Christian, I was 18 when I started to follow Christ, well, 17, and I remember I began to devour this book um, because I realized that because my relationship with God had changed, that my relationship with this book had changed, and it began to show me what God is like. And that's what we're doing tonight as we're looking at Psalm 121. So let's have a look at it together. And Psalm 121 um, are, involve eight verses. And these eight verses, um, as part of the psalm, it's a very short little psalm. We'll be going through it again just now. I won't read it all now. We'll look at it together just now. But the, the Psalm 121 is um, the second psalm of what is called the Songs of Ascent. The Songs of Ascent. And what that was is there were 15 songs as part of the, this grouping in the book of Psalms that were called the Ascension Psalms. What does that mean? Well, what happened was, because the Jews, they loved to sing. They were a worshiping people. They were a singing people. You know, part of their, the core of Judaism was, was to worship and, and rejoice before the Lord. And by the way, like God's people have always been a singing people. You know, when you're in trouble, generally Christians sing. Um, you know, when you're in hot water, you sing. You, you know, when you're in trial, you sing. When you're in a good time, when you're going through a good time, you sing. 
And that's always been the case of God's people, always, right from the beginning. But this Song of Ascent, these songs, these 15 songs, psalms, from Psalm 120 to Psalm uh, 135, essentially, um, yeah, I think it's 135, 134, was these songs that they would sing as they went up. That's what it means, literally, singing as you go up. But go up where? So what they would do is the Jews, three times a year, they would travel by foot to Jerusalem to celebrate the festivals. And so they'd do that three times a year. And so if you were like a good Jew, you'd take your family. And because Jerusalem was basically at the highest place in Israel, the highest town or city in Israel, you'd always be walking up to Jerusalem. And so as part of their, their songs that they would sing on the road while they were going to Jerusalem for the festivals, the feasts that they would celebrate under the Old Covenant, um, they'd be singing these psalms, specifically from Psalm 120, 121, carrying on, and they'd be singing the songs of ascents as they were going up to Jerusalem. Pretty cool. Um, and, um, and so we're going to see that. Now, interesting, the song of ascent, you know, in some ways, these psalms, they're like metaphors for our lives as Christians. Because in some ways, you know, as these Jews, they would sing as they went along the journey up to the city of Jerusalem. That is actually a picture of our lives, is that we are singing as we go. And Christianity has been called, in fact, the first name uh, of what Christians were called. In fact, what they called themselves were not Christians, but they were called, do you know what they were? People of the way of the way. In other words, they understood that there was a journey, there was a discipleship process, that they were walking with Jesus, and they were following Him, and they involved, you know, they weren't called people of the truth, interestingly enough. Even though they had to believe in the truth of who God is through Jesus, but they were called the people of the way because the truth was translated into a way of life. In other words, that if we say we believe, but we don't walk out the way, actually your faith is meaningless. And so a life in Jesus is a life of obedience. I think what, um, who shared earlier? Le yeah, Leone. Ilone, yeah. Oh, sorry. She shared earlier about a life of obedience, and that actually marks out the life of the Christian faith, is we're a people of the way, a people journeying with Christ as we go along. And, um, and we can't do that on our own. Um, it's not a solo sport, is it? I know I need people around me to journey with me, because I don't know about you, but I sometimes want to sit on the side of the road. I've had enough. You know, some, like the year's just started, like two weeks into the year. Okay, I need a break. <laughs> sit on the side of the road, you know, and I need my brothers and sisters to come alongside me and say, that's okay, get up, you know. Like, come on, I'll take you by the hand, and okay, thanks, you can help me along. <laughs> right, so... Let's have a look, and let's start, so keep that in mind as we're singing these songs. And now this is how the psalm starts in verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? Or from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so the first thing to know is that it says that I lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? My eyes to the hills. And most of you have heard this before or read this before and we seem to think that it's referring to maybe when you, you find inspiration when you look at the mountains. You know, ah, yes, when I look at the, God, the mountains and who made the mountains, that's when I find my hope and my encouragement. That's not what the psalm is speaking about at all. 
I lift up my eyes to the hill. He's saying that your help does not come from the hills. Your help comes from the Lord. Why does it mention that? What mentions it? Because when the Jews would travel on the way to Jerusalem for these festivals, there were many um, kind of Baal worship that took place in Israel during that time. There was, as many of you know, Israel, the people of God, they worshipped idols, many of them. And so you had the, the presence of the priests of Baal and temples, and what they would do is all the false religions would set up their shrines and their little temples and their places of worship up on the hillside. That's why if you notice in the Old Testament where it speaks about pulling down the high places, it's because those false uh, places of worship were often up on high places, literally, up on the side of hills. And what they would do is um, there would almost be like these markets where as you were traveling to Jerusalem, um, that these priests of Baal and prophetesses of Baal who were into magic, many of them, they, they actually would then peddle and sell spells to the people as they were walking along. And people, because they were superstitious, they would actually want to buy spells and magic and amulets and that kind of thing from the priests and from these individuals that were selling on the side of the road. And they would walk up to the hill and they would walk up to like a little stall and they would want to buy something. Why would they do that? Because they were scared of the journey and they were scared of robbers. They were scared of, it actually says that God will protect you from the sun by day and from the moon by night. They were actually scared of the sun and the moon. They were scared of sunstroke. They were scared of falling into an accident and tripping or breaking a, an ankle or something and someone would have to carry them. And they were also scared of the moon. Did you know that the ancients believed that if you were exposed too much to the moon, that you could go crazy, loco. That's where that word, I think, lunacy or lunatic comes from. It's actually rooted in the word luna, which means moon. Like someone that goes crazy, you've actually been spending too much time under the gaze of the moon. And so if you look, for example, in 121, it actually tells us, it tells us in, um, yeah, in verse 6, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Why? Why does it mention the moon? Because they were scared of the moon and thought it had like these qualities that could make you crazy. And so what would happen is people would go and to be protected by moonshine or by sunshine or by accidents in the road. We know what moonshine is. Um, what they would do is then they would, buy, they would buy these spells or buy these little trinkets to actually protect them, to ward off evil. And what the psalmist is saying, no, 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 that when you're on a journey, when you're traveling with the Lord, when you are going to worship Him, you don't need any kind of good luck charm. You don't need to lean on anything else, but your help comes from God. Your help comes from the Lord. That is what he's saying. It comes from the Lord Himself. And it's interesting is that, you know, in um, verse 1, in verse 2, it says, my help comes from the Lord, and the word there is Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. And He's saying your help comes from the one that made you, but He's not some distant God. He's the personal God. Yahweh is His personal name in the Old Testament. And He's saying that actually you have a God that loves you, that knows you, that, that knows about your journey that you're on, that understands the, the destiny, that understands you, you're walking with Him and wanting to serve Him. And He knows you and He wants to draw you near His Yahweh. And He made you. 
and He surrounds you. You know, I think, I don't know if it was here, I preached on Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms, and it speaks about how we are made in the image of God, beautifully, wonderfully uh, created. But early on in that psalm as well, it says that the Lord knows you're coming and you're going, and He hems you in, in front and behind, that God surrounds you. You know, where you go, He's in front of you. Where you've been, He's behind you. This is the God that is all-knowing and can comfort you knowing as you are. And I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, we can lean on other things when we're on the journey. We can kind of trust in other things. Um, I know, you know, I've got family members that are like, you know, let's trust the universe that it's going to be a good year this year. Um, or, you know, let's like, I really hope I have a lucky year. You know, I need a bit of luck on my side. I just need things to turn out for the good because I've had like a rotten year, you know, 2023. Bah, I'm so glad that's over with, you know, for some. And it's like, let's just hope the stars align. But actually, we know that because we are rooted in God, in Jesus, and our trust is in Him, everything that happens to us is father-filtered. And, and, and part of our belief in God is knowing that, Lord, actually, I'm, Jen, you will take care of those details, but I'm going to lean on you, not on some kind of thing, even though, of course, we use things in real, yeah, anyway. Let's carry on. Let's read verse 3 to 8. Now, one thing we find in the psalm that's so fascinating is, and we're going to look at verse 3 to verse 8, it mentions one thing that essentially describes what God is doing towards His people, okay? And let's, look, let's read from verse 3 to verse 8, and let's see if you can pick up a certain word that gets repeated in, uh, again and again. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life and the Lord will keep <laughs> you going out. I see I've made it easy for you. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And how does it describe God? It describes Him as this keeper. Now, the word keeper doesn't mean like, you know, sometimes if you've like met your future spouse and, you've, and you kind of end up, you know, you engage, it's like that person's a keeper. You know, that's not what it means, you know. If God is your keeper, like, yeah, you know, whoo you know, I've scored, you know. I've, uh, I'm punching above my weight class kind of thing, you know. I'm really like, yeah, you know, I've got it good. That's not what it means at all when it says the Lord is your keeper, Okay. What it means, it means it's, he's the God that guards you. He watches over you, and he's like a, a God that will actually protect you and watch your coming and going as you journey with him. That's what it means. So every time it mentions he will keep you, it means that the Lord will watch over you and keep you safe. That's effectively what it means. Um, you know, and the fact that he watches over you, um, he, it means that he will never forget you. He'll never lose you. Um, you don't have to worry about being caught on the sideline, and God, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned before as well, but God isn't some forgetful old grandfather in the sky that is a short-term memory, and He forgets your name, or forgets your desires, or forgets your loves, or He's created you in His image, and when you come to Jesus, He recreates you to be a child of God, and He knows you. Um, and, you know, I love this, because let's look at verse 3. Now, what happened? He says, He will not let your foot be moved. And he who keeps you, and I love this, will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel won't slumber nor sleep. 
In other words, God's not going to go to sleep. He's not going to doze off. And the problem with Baal, the prophets of Baal, part of their worship to him is they would perform a kind of chant and perform a kind of ceremony to actually wake up Baal because their understanding of Baal was that Baal, this god Baal, would sometimes nap. He like would power nap, you know? And he would slumber, he would get sleepy. And what they would do is as they would worship and they would like do blood sacrifices and they would literally cut themselves to wake up Baal because Baal would be napping all the time. And what is he saying here? They understood that what he's saying is God doesn't nap, God doesn't sleep, he's always awake, he's always working, and he'll never forget you. Um, I remember once my mom forgetting me. Um, I think I was about 10 or 11 years old, and we grew up in Port Elizabeth, and I went to extra art classes. Uh, We lived in the warmer area, and all the way down in town, right in the center of the CBD, we went to these extra art classes at art college. I was about 10 or 11, and it was after school late, and it would finish at like 6 p.m., and I remember my brother and I standing outside, uh, waiting 10 minutes, 15 minutes, rush hour traffic going past. It was like a bit of an unsavory area, drug dealers on the side, you know. And we were standing there. My mom would always be waiting for us. And 20 minutes, it was starting to get dark. 25 minutes, it was cold. Um, The the lecturers all came downstairs. They locked the building. Where where are your parents? Uh, I'm assuming they're coming. This was the day before cell phones. Um, We couldn't contact them. Half an hour, 35 minutes. And And I began to like, I've been abandoned. My parents have abandoned me. They've forgotten me. And they had, actually. My mom was busy with something else, and somehow she thought my dad was picking me up. The bottom line is they forgot me. And my brother. I'm still trying to get over it. I need healing. You guys are my counseling session. I'm just going to, you know, just, just give it to you, right? <laughs> but, you know, God would never do that, Right? And even though sometimes we feel like, where are you, Lord? You know, you commit your year to the Lord. And I know we have plans. And let me say, it is good to make plans. The Bible says it actually commends us for making plans. But our plans have to be held loosely before Him. And when we hold it, He knows those things. And then as we serve Him, as we put it forth, you know, let's trust Him. Lord, these are yours. I'll work it out. But He knows the very things that we do. Let's turn to Jude. And in the New Testament, this idea of God who is your keeper, God that is guarding you, God that will watch over you, is actually a theme that runs in parts of the New Testament as well. And in the New Testament, the book of Jude, um, interesting book, it's a, it's a little letter that's just a, like, you know, just over 30, 31 verses. It's very, very short, the book of Jude. And, um, and this book of Jude mentions how God is keeping us through Jesus and uh, I just want us to look together at Jude. Um, actually, where am I going? Going the wrong way. It's just before the book of Revelation. Not Revelations. All right. 25, yeah, 25 verses in this little book. And it mentions in the beginning, I want us to look at this word keep. It mentions here in verse 1. It says, Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and are kept for Jesus Christ. And it says in the beginning that if you love the Lord and your aim is to trust Him, 
um, he will keep you, and you are kept for Jesus. What does that mean? That he will take you aside, he will guard you in terms of your salvation. And you see, in the Old Testament, they had to trust God for like physical safety. Nowhere in the New Testament does God promise us that always things will work out and we will have physical safety. Just to want to make that clear, like we've got to be careful not to claim promises that actually God doesn't give us. You know, and sometimes I know during COVID, Psalm 91 was like, yeah, I'm I'm claiming Psalm 91, you know, over my, over my health, like nothing can touch me, no, no pestilence by day, no error, you know, because I've got Psalm 91. Some guys put the sticker on their car, you know, as if that, that's going to protect them from getting into an accident. But nowhere does the Bible actually pr- promise to protect us from difficulty and trial. And I think one of the things that we have to learn in the Lord is we have to learn to actually have a theology in a sense of suffering. That, that before suffering comes and before trials happen, that almost that you are rooted in an ability to know that sometimes bad, thic- blah, bad things happen to good people. And you know, and the Bible's full of that. Good people, saints, men and women of God who suffer loss. But if you understand the way God works, it's like He's able to keep you. But one of the promises He does make in the New Testament, He promises to keep you in terms of your salvation, to hold you, and uh, kept for Jesus. Then it ends the book in Jude, right at the end there, in Jude, uh, you've got the verse, Jude one twenty. but you, no, 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 uh, next one, uh, I want to go 24, I think it is. Yeah, now to him who's able to keep you, there's a word again, to keep you from stumbling. And so in the beginning it says God has kept you, and then it mentions that he will keep you from stumbling. What kind of stumbling? Similar to Psalm 121, but he's going to keep you from stumbling spiritually. He's going to hold you and keep you. In other words, that you, this vision of God at work right now, guarding you, watching over your salvation, that as you hide in Jesus, as you trust in him, like he will uphold you and enable you to actually flourish in the Lord to do well in the Lord, to find your confidence in God, to deal with sin and shame. And maybe you've got any kind of addictions or you've got some areas where you know, God, these things are holding me back. God is able to keep you. He's able to break those things off your life if you understand how powerful He is. And rather than looking inward and saying, okay, I better defeat my Goliath, you know, because we all have our Goliaths in our lives, don't we? We've all got those things, those bullies that come against us, those things that would intimidate us spiritually, those things that would come against us in our walk with the Lord. And I know sometimes we feel the pressure, okay, I'm a Christian now, I've got to like white-knuckle this thing, and I better be like David, it's going to take down Goliath. But the good news of the gospel, if I read this, and how we are kept, and go back to verse 24, kept from stumbling, because at the end of the day, you and I are not David. Jesus is David. And being a Christian means that I'm hiding in Christ. I'm, I'm in Him, and He gives you the strength to topple your giants, to bring those things down, to walk in victory, to walk in, in joy in the Lord as we hide him in Him. And I think when you understand this, I love verse 20. And then right in the middle, so at the end, it says, you've been kept. At the, uh, in the beginning, it says, He's kept you. At the end, it says, but he keeps you from stumbling. He holds you. He's able to help you to serve the Lord. But in the middle, because if you have a theology or an understanding of God that is bigger than you, 
this understanding that God is working behind the scenes, even when you don't feel like it, even when you're struggling, even when you doubt Him, God is always working behind the scenes. He's your keeper. Do, if you believe that in Jesus, if you believe that as you trust in Jesus, God is way more interested in your flourishing than you are. God is way more interested in your success in terms of to flourish as a human being, to bear fruit, to have good relationships, to serve Him in a good way. He's way more interested than you are. He's way more of a fan in you, in a sense, and I'm sounding like a prosperity preacher here, than you are. That's true. If God is for us, who can be against us? And it's like part of the theology of a Christian is this thing of like, God, you are working even when I'm not. You are holding me and guarding me even when I am not. When I'm discouraged and I'm sitting on the side of the road and I've given up, He's there beside you. The Holy Spirit is your helper. He's, your key. he's going to come alongside you, and He's going to blow wind. He's going to empower you to serve Him and obey Him. And so, in the middle there, because of that, if you understand that, that God is working on your behalf in Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, then this is what we will do. But you, beloved, building yourselves up, you see, there are certain things that we have to do. Building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. I want to say one of the things that we can do this year in 2024, if you want to kind of journey with Jesus, one of the things I think we can all grow in is this ability to pray in the Holy Spirit, to learn how to become people that commune with God, that know Him, that find Him in the secret place, that are able to draw near to Him, find our shade in Him. But then it carries on and um, by the way, I just wanted to stop there. You know, in Psalm 121, it says, the Lord is your shade. Um, one of the things that I do, um, I have, you know, where we live in Wellington, uh, we have a, a house with a big stoop. And on the stoop, I come out in the morning um, early when I can, and I sit on the stoop, and it overlooks the mountains. It's a beautiful kind of vista. And look over at the mountains. But the thing in the morning is the sun comes up really early and it shines right into my face. So if I sit out on the stoop, I, I get hot. It's already six in the morning and I'm sweating because I'm in the sun. And so what I do is we've got this pillar on the side of the stoop and I take my chair and I actually hide behind the pillar because there's shade that comes and it kind of comes through here. It's like a little slither about that big. And I bring my chair around, scoot, 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 get my Bible, and I sit in the shade, and as the sun moves, move the chair, move the chair. <laughs> and in that way, I actually stay cool in the morning. And you know, that's the kind of a picture of the Christian life, is in a sense, is Jesus is our pillar. God is our pillar, and when you hide yourself in Christ, when you lean on Jesus and put your faith in Jesus, and, and we're abiding in Him, the Lord is your shade. He refreshes you. He enables you, protects you from the harshness of the sun. And, um, and it carries on. Let's, let's finish off with this verse. Keep yourself in the love of God. And then it says, yeah, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. So here, but if you don't understand that you are kept, you will not keep yourself. Because then it'll feel like works. It'll feel like you're driven. You'll get tired. You'll feel exhausted. But if you understand that God is keeping you and holding you, then you are able to keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life.
Our friends, our lives are like a bookmark, you know, um, like these bookmarks. We've got Jesus before us, Jesus after us, and our job is to remain in Him, to keep ourselves in His love, to try and obey Him where we can, and just to, and He'll empower us along the way as we do so. So, I want to close. I want to ask you this, this morning, this evening, this afternoon, today, <laughs> do you believe that the Lord is your keeper? Do you believe He's your keeper? Do you believe that He watches over you? Do you believe that if you, if you trust Him and you understand that on your own, your help doesn't look within, we're not looking inside of us this year for help, we're looking outward to Him, and when we do so, He will cause us to reach the destination, our Jerusalem, our walk with the Lord. Man, this year is going to be a very, very exciting year. I don't know about you, but I am anticipating great things. Are you? How big is your God? How great is your God? He is awesome. Do you know He is for you? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that God is for you in Jesus? But the thing is, it's in Jesus. You've got to be in the shade. You've got to be leaning on Him. The Bible says that for those who trust in the Lord, they will not be put to shame but for those who trust in the Lord. And so I'd like to pray for us as we close. And what I want us to do, um, yeah, let's close our eyes and we're going to do something together. <clears throat> Praise you, Father. Oh, Lord, we want to just say tonight, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you, Lord, that um, even right now as we are praying to you, you are watching over us. We want to acknowledge this morning, this, this afternoon, Lord, that you are watching over us, that you're the God who guards us, who keeps us in Jesus. But Lord, as we are kept for Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ, and we are guarded, we are kept, Lord, tonight, even as we are, we've been singing to you, Lord, we know that you've been singing over us, even as we rejoiced and sang towards you. What a God you are. Lord, that you've hemmed us in, you've gone before us, you're after us. There's nowhere that we can escape from your presence. Lord, what a God you are. Lord, even when we are weak, you are strong. When we are discouraged, you come and give courage. When we want to give up, you empower us. Lord, we want to thank you today that you are our help. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And we want to confess that this afternoon. We want to say, Lord, our help comes from you, not from within us. And we want to, that simple message, we lean on you again. We trust you for 2024. We trust you, Father. Every day, help us to remember these things. I want to pray just, um, if you're here tonight with every head bowed, and you are here, and maybe if you're honest, like you are, um, maybe you've been looking in at, at, at Christianity, and you know God has been drawing you, or, or you here and you've backslidden, and you've actually been putting your hope in yourself, and you've like tried to figure it out by yourself and work it out, but you know that God has been chasing you. God has been drawing you, and you know that actually, um, if it's not for Him, that you, the Bible actually says that you would die, you're gonna, if, if you die without Christ, that there is an uh, eternal judgment for you. But Jesus comes on a search and rescue mission to save you. He doesn't want to leave you in your sin. The Bible says that actually we have to acknowledge that we are sinners. That we are in need of God. 
that we have to acknowledge that actually we are, we are sick and Jesus is the divine physician. And I, I don't know about you, but I know I've tried many times growing up to be a good person on my own strength. But God hasn't designed it that way. God has designed us to follow after Jesus, His Son. To put our faith in Him. To turn away from our own lives and turn towards Him. And, and it, maybe you're here today and you realize like you've been following your own path. But you know God has been drawing you. And you need to surrender your life to Jesus tonight, to the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to confess Him as your, your Lord and your Savior. Is anyone like that tonight? Would you raise your hand? Say, Mike, I, I, I know that is me. And God tonight has been putting His finger on my life. I've been running from Him. But actually tonight, tonight I'm going to surrender my life. I want to be on a journey with Jesus. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you, sir. Another gentleman at the back there. Anyone else this evening? Here, I'll just ask those two guys just, just to keep your hands up. It's going to get someone just to pray with you. Um, Father, we want to thank you for these two guys that have responded tonight. And Lord, you know where they are. You know they're, 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 they're where they're at, Lord God. And right now we want to pray for them, Lord, that you would come. And even others that maybe are here that have responded to you or need to respond, Lord, right now would you meet them where they're at? Would you come and do a miracle in their lives that maybe they've even been trying to be good, but they've been failing? Would you come and make them born again? Would you renew in them a, 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 a new heart? Would you take out a heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh? As they turn to you, say, God, would you have mercy on me? Would you have mercy on me? And I want to say, you know, God is kinder than you would ever imagine. You deserve hell, we all do, but God has given us a Savior. He's, he's, he's here to forgive you and to make wash you clean. And so, Father, we pray for those who say, would you come and do a work in them as they've responded right now? Lord, you can do the work. Christianity is not a decision. It's a surrender to the one that changes us from the inside out. Would you change them, Lord, tonight? In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Lord. Yeah, we worship you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, tonight that you've been so near to us, that you're so intimate with us, that you're closer than our skin, closer than the air we breathe. You're the God who has made us, made the heavens and the earth, and you made us. Just where we are right now with your eyes closed, I just want you to kind of just bask in the favor of God. I want you to sit in the shade of Jesus right now. Just, just receive from him. Just say, Lord, I want to receive from you. I thank you for mercy and grace. Just Bible says that we are seated with him in heavenly places, seated with Christ. That Bible says that you were dead in your sins and he raised you up. You know, a dead person can't make themselves alive. He has to raise and he has raised you up. He's seated you. Just where you are, just receive you. Just say, Lord, I receive your grace. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Just right now, just receive grace upon grace. Maybe you need courageous grace for some of the challenges that are facing you this year. Maybe you need financial breakthrough grace. God has every part of grace for you. Maybe you need physical healing and strengthening in your body. God can do it all. Grace upon grace. And Lord, we want to receive from you. 
from Him, from your fullness, comes grace upon grace. Worship you, Lord. Worship you, Father. How we need you, Lord. Lord, we need you so much. Lord, we can't do this in our own strength. Lord, we need a traveling companion. We need the Holy Spirit. We need you, Jesus. We need the Father. We need one another. Lord, we thank you we're not on our own. Would you come and just again, just lift up feeble strength and weak knees and, and, and weak arms. Would you strengthen us? Would you give courage and boldness for this year? Would you make us bold as lions? Would you make us courageous? That those who know their God the Bible says, we'll be as bold as lions. Father, would you give us that? Would you well in us, Lord, a fire in our bones that would not be quenched? We just want to start from a place of rest, from seated in Christ. That's where we start, Lord. And then we walk it out from there. We lean on you. Even as, you're, even as you're sitting in this chair right now, as you're leaning on that chair, just lean on Jesus. Oh God, <laughs> you keep me, Lord. You guard me. You keep me. You enable me. You keep my salvation. Oh, you make me flourish. You cause me to bear fruit. Praise you, Lord. Linger a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. Thank you for the pleasure of the Father. We deserve nothing, and you've made us sons and daughters. Lord, you don't only love us, you like us. But you actually like us, Lord. You love our quirkiness, our differences, temperaments, made in your image. We want to be flourishing this year, Lord. Would you, oh Lord, we love you. I want us to end with doing something where we want to, if you're a visitor and maybe you've never done this or you're uncomfortable, you don't need to do this. But for the rest of us, what I want us to do is I want us to pray for each other and um, just pray for that, that God would strengthen you this year, that, that He would be your help. Um, maybe there's something specific you need prayer for, there's a specific need. You know, we don't need like the, the man of God to do all the praying. Um, you don't need like the, the one who's too anointed to be disappointed. It's okay. You know, we've got Him. Um, but we can pray for each other, and part of actually being a body, part of the value we have as Josh Jen, is we believe that every member is important. You could be here, maybe you've been a Christian for one day. I want to say that your prayers are as powerful as Leonard Stradorm, super pastor Leonard Stradorm, Henry Latachan, you know, all the, the leaders around you who glow in the dark, your prayers are as powerful. And maybe for you, it might be a little halting prayer of like, 
Maybe it's something that you feel so unworthy to pray, but pray it because God hears. And I want us to pray for one another and just exercise that muscle where we can not lean on some who are like the pros. We're all the pros here, right? And uh, so what I want you to do is to find someone to pray for. Um, yeah, even if you turn around or turn behind you. But I'd love us, where possible, everyone to do that. And I simply want us to end the service by praying for each other. Can we do that?